Hi, welcome to another episode of Infinite Leaders Live. My name is Lewis Keynes and our why is simple, to be better educators and to be better humans. We want to support and encourage infinite learning for everyone, regardless of role, rank or responsibility, and for each other to be willing to listen and to learn. I'm joined as usual by my mate, Alan Dunstan. Thanks, Lewis. And we will continue to focus on the things you don't get taught at university or on any courses. Real life lessons from real life people with real life experience. And as ever, we're recording live and we're learning as we go along. Um, I'm sure there'll be a few mistakes, uh, but we'd love your feedback. If you've got anything constructive to tell us or any praise for us, please get in touch at theinfinitelearners.com on Instagram, YouTube, or with Alan and I on Twitter. So let's, uh, let's get going, Alan. Listen, learn and share with colleagues and friends and let's dive in. Yeah, get your pens and papers ready, guys. There's going to be some absolute gems of wisdom coming out of the show today. Ronnie Heath is a former leader in education, award-winning National League coach and national trainer who established Create Development in 2006 to inspire teachers and coaches to better include, engage and challenge all young learners. In addition to being an innovative and groundbreaking author and speaker, Ronnie provides inspiring thought leadership to change the culture of fee and sport. As an international keynote speaker, Ronnie has influenced practice and practitioners in countries across the world. And I can honestly say Ronnie's probably <laughs> one of the best uh, de professional development leaders that I've come across in the last 15 years overseas. So Ronnie, welcome to the show and tell us a little bit about Create Development. Oh, wow. Um, Alan Lewis, just first of all, thank you for inviting me on. And um, it just seems so bizarre to, to be in a room chatting from this distance away when my only experience of working with you guys has been in sort of various different countries in sports halls, lecture theatres and bars having this conversation. So um, very much looking forward to sort of, if, if it's anything like those conversations, then uh, then I'm very, very excited. Uh, yeah, Create Development. Um, we've now been running for about sort of uh, 13, 14 years. Started off as a as a little response on a project for me, leaving teaching, doing, trying something out with basketball and then being asked to write something with some other uh, national organisations, UK Coaching, Sports Coach UK, um, U Sport Trust, various other bits. And um, yeah, just just um, making a transition from teaching to try and to teach your education and and started to, to, to write for other people first. And now we're 12 years, 13 years later and we pretend we're bigger than we are because we work with lots of schools, about five and a half thousand schools and we've got 2,000 real P members. That's our our core program and um yeah sort of i think we we got 35 full-time staff we um involve um probably responsible for the jobs of about 50 people and then we uh, we work with about 105 partners who deliver for us so it gives us a chance to pretend we're bigger than we are and also that we can reach further so um so that's that's where we got to now working with um with with thousands of schools trying to get a better experience for what we call Jasmine as, a, as the child that we re regard as the individual and, uh, and every other one of her friends, however different and, and new they are, making sure they have a fabulous experience. Give us a, a quick rundown, Ronnie, of, of what Create Development provides and, and, and what the sort of vision of Create Development is. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so... I, I, how can I, I can go a little bit down into the sort of the, the why first, can I? And, and, yeah, and now that sort of that. stuff first. Okay. So I guess that the, the sunshine phrase is creating a positive relationship with physical activity for life. 
And so if you consider the fact that anyone that's had children or been around children is they, they actually, uh, one of the few things, one of the few things they do almost without any kind of adult intervention is they've already got a positive relationship with physical activity in a strange way. Uh, over a period of time between us, we, we messed them up, don't we? I think we're allowed to say on the station run the, run the original term. And I think, um, so for me, that, that uh, ambition that every child has a fantastic relationship with physical activity is massive. The flip, the flip side to that is, if I'm really honest, is a relentless dissatisfaction. I, I'm actually a bit, a bit peed off about it. And that's what really started this process. I just didn't feel in many situations um, the children were getting that fabulous experience that we weren't focusing on the right stuff that we weren't understanding in particular in early years that and and, and in informative years that we're really getting the fundamental movement bit right we're focusing on sports and that was bonkers we knew we knew better than that and secondly we weren't talking about the child we were we were talking about a sport or an activity and we knew that even for the most able children um, that actually the, the, the idea of being really good at one sport was often a barrier to the quality of their development, even if they wanted to be an elite sports person. So it didn't even work for the, the children that are most able for me. So we had a bit of relentless dissatisfaction. I mean, John Parsons, who I met, uh, we did a British Council um, funded uh, opportunity in South Africa to have a look at uh, head of the, the, world, the, the, the football world cup there. And, and where we, we realized that we were, having these very difficult conversations where we we're both really annoyed by it. And eventually we said, look, instead of getting really annoyed by it, how about we go and help some of these people? And to start with, I was frustrated with them. I'll be honest with you. I wasn't, wasn't good. All I do is I get into rooms with heads of department, often my friends uh, normally win the argument, but broadly annoy them enough. So they would definitely avoid ever speaking to me again or, <laughs> or give them any, give them any kind of empathy or reason to change what they're doing. Just most basically just, try to pull the pants down and make them look a bit daft. Um, found out a bit later, that's not the best way to sort of uh, see change. People tend not to engage with you very well. If you come in with that kind of attitude. So, and the truth is as well, is that of course a lot of these people knew that whilst I did some good stuff, they had plenty of stories about me and my, my background and say, well, you haven't always done it this way. Haven't you? you haven't always thought about this. And so I had, it took quite a bit of time for me and John eventually to go, look, we've got to stop uh, hating on, some of our best friends and people in the community and say most of them are desperate for a little bit of bit of sharing and a bit of support. And that's how creative development came around. We started listening and watching and seeing the very best and everything you've, you can see now, whether you see on a digital platform is just really a collaboration of the very best stuff that we found out there. There's very little that's ours, very little. What, what our, our skill has been able to, to shape that into a very clear, aligned simplified understanding of where we need to focus and we'd lost our way a little bit because we'd for, we we weren't asking the question enough as to why we're doing this and, and anchoring back to that we, we keep if we didn't get that anchoring deep we would just slip away and pull away from it because we'd have a football match this weekend or we had to knock a rugby team out for year sevens next week yeah or we had to we had to teach our year nines how to scrummage so because we had a game at the weekend or or whatever it might be, but there'd be something that was pulling us away from our core purpose. And you guys, I read in some of your blurb talking about infinite leadership and stuff, really, really understanding when it comes down to it, we're interested in, in, in individuals. I'm interested in people developing better people first and foremost. And so we felt actually there was no disconnection between that and 
high high performance either. So whether you read all black books or you read sort of uh, at the time Williams racing team, anything you read about high performance teams, we're all talking about developing the person first. So we didn't feel as if there was anything we had to to challenge around that. So so for us that was um, we 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 eventually came down to to a different conversation, came to a conversation that says tell us what your beliefs and values are tell us what you want to achieve and i don't know whether you guys feel the same with this but my experience is that nearly everybody says the same stuff now i really do believe that education has moved on and i really believe that every PE teacher or so I just want to give every single child a fantastic experience yeah yeah of course i want to get them more able to to to, to do what they want to do but i want everyone to feel as if there's a place and for them and um I'll try not to digress too far, but just to finish on, 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 and so our role became to say, well, how can we then, if they're your beliefs and values, can we, in the amount of time that we've had to go and speak to loads of people and pull all those things together, is there some stuff that we can show you, regardless of your experience and skill, is there some stuff that can help you to achieve those values and achieve those beliefs, achieve those goals? Because what, what we were seeing now was that people are saying this, sorry, they were believing this, they were saying something different and even if they were saying the right things, they were doing something different. And we just said, look, all of us want to go to bed at night knowing that that alignment's there, don't we? We just want to know that everything we, everything we believe in, we're saying, and everything we're saying, we're doing. And we think we can help you do that. And that's, that, that, that's where we got to. Yeah, I, I fully agree, Ronnie, in terms of you, you can say the right thing, but are you actually doing the right thing is another matter. Yeah. And I think that's where you sort of hit that market. When was the tipping point, Ronnie, where you actually realised that the way PE was mm. in terms of being yeah. very sport-driven mm. and not really caring for those less mm -hmm. able children, when was that? And, and then how? what was the realisation and, and how did you go about changing your own vision and philosophy? Mm. Yeah, well, I think, I think it's only fair, and especially in this context, you, <laughs> Uh, again, this channel and the stuff that you do creates the environment for, for people to be honest and, and, yeah. and to sound vulnerable. And I'm going to be really honest with you, Alan. I wouldn't say I was doing it myself, but what I would say is I was still was looking forward to my basketball session after school. I was looking forward to being with those kids. Yeah, and totally. actually, exactly a lot of the stuff that you're seeing now was tested at an, a basketball academy for elite performers. Yeah. And, and, and I got a little bit of a, a double whammy buzz at just the right time. So about 30 years old, uh, just coming up to new millennium. And we started a basketball academy in Taunton where through a whole variety of lucky bits, one was a guy called Simon Timpson that people would know now as former LTA um, lead and UK coaching lead. He was two years below me at college. When he came out and he came and found me, he said, look, I'm thinking about setting up some academies for sports. I know you're the right guy for basketball. And he's one of those guys that just had a crazy ambition. You know, it didn't matter what, what you said in the room, he'd go, well, you know, if you said, let's do Tenerife, he'd go, let's do 11 Reef. You know, it's that type of stuff. He would want to, he would always think of something bigger. And so I love this. I was just totally addicted to it. I bullied him at college, but, but once, <laughs> once, once he was there in the room, he was just amazing. And he uh, said to me, well, look, let's go and do this basketball academy thing. We'll do 14, 15 hours a week. I'm like, how are you going to do 15 hours of basketball a week? Well, we'll get them preschool and we'll, you know, we've got physios ready. So we did that academy and I had that. And that within a three-year period, we had from Taunton, we had nearly, I think it's 24 or 25 international junior players that came out of Taunton within two or three years. 
So the whole world's going, well, what's that? What's that? You know, the, we didn't even know the names of these kids, and now they're playing uh, age group international. So that became that that came. But at the same time, I had an Ofsted inspection by. Um, a guy called actually Steve Kibble ended up coming competition at the end. Probably Steve sent me on my way as well. But Steve Kibble came in and he said very, very nice things about me uh, from an Ofsted inspection. So literally made a bit. And then went off to conferences and said, you've got to go and see this guy teach. And I'm going to be genuinely honest with you that, that if you, what we were describing then and that approach just wouldn't stand up now. But at the time, at the time when he was saying, look, there is just an unusual amount of children that think they're great at PE. <laughs> and some, some of them are, some of them are not. But for whatever reason, if I speak to them, they say, yes, I looked forward to PE because, and I'm very good at it. So there's something he's doing or saying that makes them think success is different to what I'm seeing. But they are better than you'd expect them to be, small, relatively small school, but they all love it. They're just looking forward to PE. So I had a little bit of a double whammy going on. And people wanted to ask me questions, but I was desperate to say, I'm not doing anything different. I don't do anything different of the basketball club I'm doing there. Just like got responsibility, haven't we, for everyone that's in front of us to to do the best we possibly can. And when I'm with you guys, I'm, I'm allowed to say we're supping a beer on on here. All your eyes light up when you talk about individual children. You're desperate to talk about the, the difference you made for that person, regardless of their ability. You get so excited because you've made a difference to their flight paths. And in particular, you tend not even to talk about the difference you've made to them. So they've got a better backhand in tennis. I've never heard you say that in any kind of bar. Alan, or, or Lewis. I'm sure you have, but you've never mentioned it. But you'll talk about what it does for the children, how they feel, how they how it impacts on the way they feel about themselves and other subjects. And and all of you talk about the relationships you've continued with those people that you've been, been around and supported, whether they're teachers that you've been leaders and supported. Those teachers speak to you forever. They're your, they're your friends forever now, aren't they? Because you've had that impact on their flight path. And the children that you work with, they want to know about you forever, don't they? And, and so the difference is not the backhand, is it? There's something in there that's much bigger than that. And that's that's what I felt. And I just wanted to say, look, it, it isn't that difficult. It really isn't. There's no magic potion. And I'm going to tell you also, I've seen people deliver better than me. It's just you've, you've managed to find me and I've managed to articulate a bit better than most. But trust me, there's better out there. But the good news <laughs> is I can then go and watch them and make some money off it. That was it. I could go and tell you what they were doing. Now, I'll be honest with that. And I've even said that to primary school teachers. I said, the great news is I've got to go and see what you were doing. Because when I went into primary school, I started dabbling with coaching and teaching. Honestly, I could do the old Butler's red coat thing, but it was a nightmare. No one knows that, but it was a nightmare. But people were patient enough with me because I was at least admitted it, that I was struggling with it. But when I went to watch other lessons... And watch them in other subjects. These primary school teachers, some of the stuff they're doing in other lessons. Now they they didn't know how to run a good P lesson. They wanted me in for that purpose, but actually I couldn't help them do it by myself. I had to see what they were doing elsewhere. Then I said, okay, between us, all right, we'll have a little deal. I'll help you get better at P if you help me get better at teaching. And between the two of us, we might come up with something pretty decent here. That's how it happened. I promise you. And that's why primary school ended up being the big focus. Is I managed, and I joke now. I say. Look, because you're so busy, you never got to tell anyone else what you're doing. So I've managed to tell other people. And now, you know, we, we broadly make a decent living out of that. Tell us a bit, Ronnie. <laughs> I always enjoy listening to you speak. There's always a bit of humour in there. Um, tell us a little bit about Just what you it. think that um, fabulous experience is for children. Oh, that's really good. That's a, gosh, that's a real tough question. Well, I think um, 
it, it tends to be emotional discussion. So, um, like, I remember Carol Raymond, uh, she was, um, I'm going to say something positive about her. She was my lecturer at college, and she was uh, sort of uh, head of the inspectorate for people at a while in the country. And she made a really important point. She just didn't, didn't express it very well. I knew exactly what she meant. And she said, problem with primary school PE, it's all happy, smiley, fun, and no learning. Yeah? Now, as a consequence, I felt that threw it backwards for quite a while. She was making a really good point because there was that, that, that whilst that was true, she could have just phrased it slightly differently. She could have said, the great thing about primary PE is it's happy, smiley, fun. With a bit of extra support, we could really turn that environment into an amazing learning environment. Yeah. And she, and so into your question, it is, it is the stuff where, the, where a good PE lesson, children lose themselves, don't they? They wouldn't notice if someone came into the classroom. We've all had that experience, haven't we, in our, in our, own, in our day-to-day stuff, where you, you completely can't think of anything else in the moment. And it hasn't got to be a big smile or a laugh, has it? But it sometimes can be just a really intense focus face where you want to try and create an environment where they really can engage um, at a level where they almost can't think of anything else. And so from a mental health perspective, it's pretty healthy, isn't it? But, but we know that the outcomes of the learning from that has even bigger impacts on mental health. Can, can, I, can I speak a little bit more about that? Yeah, please do. Yeah, yeah. Right, so so, so I, I was lucky enough to get, uh, I shared a keynote speak with a, with a fantastic speaker. She's way, way beyond me in terms of understanding mental health. A woman called Natasha Devon. Some people will have heard her. She's a great speaker. Um, and... I managed to share the, and I don't know how the marketing team managed to get me the slot because I wouldn't normally get invited to this sort of stuff, but London did a mental health week and they did a conference for head teachers and I got the dual slot with Natasha Devon. And I think if I'm honest, Lewis, it was probably because I told a couple of jokes somewhere else and they said, well, we'll liven them up a bit. So I don't think, <laughs> I, I don't think they thought I was going to do anything of any purpose from PE. So I get up and look normally on the PE circuit because I've stopped being too aggressive. They'll go, He'll have a bit of a go at us, but it'll be it'll be nice and have a bit of fun and it'll be all right. But when I stood up on that there, no one knew me, had no status within the room. And because I was about to talk about PE, I'd never had that experience of how like the room was just so against me right from the start. <laughs> I've never had that. I've normally normally got at least a few. I, I know a couple of things I can say straight away is going to get the room. Put the first slide up and I said, I think we have to decide whether P is going to be part of the solution or part of the problem. And I think for too many of you, historically, it's been part of the problem. As soon as I said that sentence, that there was some kind of sense that this guy who comes from his own echo chambers of PE teachers, yeah, who goes, who's best mates, yeah, with them. And when he goes abroad, he's meeting up with Lewis and Alan or whatever else, because they're the people he, he, he wants to talk to, isn't it? You know, he's willing to stand up in front of us and say, I accept the fact that sometimes we have been part of the problem. For mental health because we stand in front of you and say look at all the amazing things that PE can achieve you know it's going to give people great self-esteem and confidence become more resilient and you know we can we can list them and you've done that in many of your other discussions but we lied a little bit didn't we we knew that was true but we did we just miss out a bit otherwise it's fake news if we don't say when it's a high quality experience and that high quality experience has to be something where we feel really good about ourselves before we get any deep into the old multi-ability, soft skills, fundamental movement stuff. I have to feel exceptionally good about myself in that environment. And each one of you knows of teachers that within five minutes, the children just think this, this woman, 
this man here is going to make me feel very comfortable today and make me feel as if this is going to be a good place. And so we, in terms of our understanding of how we deliver differently, we call this learning nutrition. We said, these are the things that children need. These are the things that we have to ensure that we provide. Can't provide everything ourselves, but we need to make sure that that provision is there for them. And, and, that's, and that's where we really now, we can describe what we do on, on two slides. We say we're trying to achieve these goals and we think we have to, we have to create these habits. Uh, and then if you want to the next question, I've got a load of stuff for you. <laughs> but basically that's it. And in that mental health... Tell, tell, yeah. tell us what those habits are. Give right, us a so, rundown of yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. Yes. All right. So, so then quickly, the why, the, the why then again. So, so what we want is children to develop the right behaviours, knowledge and, uh, and skills to, to be successful in whatever activity they choose to be in the future. Yeah, to create that relationship. So if, if I'm in a room with any, any, um, any teachers or coaches, you can pretty much pull out exactly the same core stuff. And you've seen that happen. So they'll say, yeah, they've got to have, you know, some personal, some social skills, some emotional skills. They've got to have some thinking skills and they need some core fundamental movement stuff. Yeah. And once that gets to a really high level, even if they're elite athlete, they have to continue to work on those things. Then they can pretty much got the, the foundations to be, to have a crack at anything they want to. Yeah. So that's the why. In terms of the, you've asked me the learning nutrition stuff. So I, we've said, well, what do they need? Um, I'm unsure about language I can use on here, but if I if I quote my wife, it won't sound as offensive. So we say, look, look, don't we for learning? Don't we need a certain amount of nutrients? And again, what we've done is simplify from a list of 180, simplify that down to seven, and then show a very simple journey for a teacher. So say, first of all, all of us from a from a from a sense of a goal, we need an, an ambition. We need to have a sense that we all of us believe we could be better than we are. And actually with a bit of time and effort or every single one of you is going to get a whole lot better without that sense of ambition, both the teacher believe in that and the pupil believe in that without that nutrient, none of the rest of the learning takes place. So we start with that one. We then talk about things like having a, having a clear, clear shared goal. So we both know what we're trying to achieve here. And often if you don't give them a clear shared goal, they think it's going to be, can you be the one of the best five footballers in this group right now? Can you be the, the two best shooters at netball today? Because you have to, there has to be a personalized shared goal. And, and, and that in itself becomes a huge energy. For most people, that's a huge energy. Um, we have to then look at um, if we can celebrate and celebrate progress. So we need to say, well, if there's our goals and there's our little journey, normally a good, a good shared goal with our groups is to say, well, look, here, here's where we are right now. Some of you are here, some of you are here. Where do you think you're going to be? at the end of this session or over the next week or the next six weeks. So we've had that shared goal. We've now got to have an opportunity to celebrate that progress. Children get, again, this is not creative moment, is it? This is, we've just simplified it. So we have to celebrate that progress. So they have to go, look, I know you're getting a bit frustrated now, but look how far you come. All right. And now we can talk about how we can support you to get to the next stage. All right. They need to have a series of success and failure. So, um, appropriate challenge perhaps in in a p world they need to have both success and failure now uh, my wife calls this wankery so there i've said it now so whether that whether it gets cut or not we'll, we'll decide later my wife say this ronnie in the wrong room this will come across as wankery i said i know that but i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna push on with it lorraine so sometimes I, with the seven nutrients we i line them to seven dietary nutrients so for me success and failure is a protein it's both your growth and repair so i need some success 
for, for, for repair to make me feel good about myself. And I need some failure for growth. And once the children understand that, you have to provide the right amount of protein, then, then, then that's what it's about. So the, the next nutrient, <laughs> the next nutrient is, is uh, some, of my, some of the energy stuff. So I need praise for positive behaviors. Now, if I shout and scream at some of my voice, well done, well, this gets a quick buzz. This is like a, this is like a fat or sugar, isn't it? You know, it's like a big sweet. You go, oh yeah, great. But then it's, it's, it's worn off, isn't it? Whereas if I can, if I can actually praise their behavior and then do it in a way that says, you know, this is something that I'm seeing in you as a person. So if I'm saying, do you know what? I'm so proud of you for that. And you know why everyone went straight into clapping you because they know how hard you've worked on that and how hard you struggled on that. But I've seen you go away, watch others, try it again, try say speak to someone else try something else try a new way and seeing you now achieve that after all that hard work and thinking and watching and listening that's that's made my day as a teacher thank you for that now that's a complex carbohydrate isn't it <laughs> that's that's gonna that's that's not a sweet is it that's not a sugar burst that's gonna stay with them for a little while that's gonna keep them going for a little while and i just think it's not that difficult to do is it i, I I know, like, I've, I've chuffed off an example off the top. It's not, it's not that difficult to do. So I don't know how I've got to now, Lewis, that my, my seven. I'm panicking under pressure because I've got my notes. It's a good job but, of writing it down, isn't it? We're on uh, Right, we're so on, I think I, I started. Oh, five. good. Right, so I think I might, might be able to pull it off. So uh, the sixth one, which is uh, is the most controversial one, um, believe whenever I'm with you guys, uh, you guys never see this as a problem. You never question this one. So you do on the other ones. But this is one that comes across regularly get uh, um, uh, given grief on this because they'll say, where's your scientific proof for that? But you guys, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because you're effective, just aligned to it practically and just say my own experience says that's true. But I think there's more and more growing evidence for the six one. So you get excited now. It's coaching and supporting others. So if as a child, I get to coach and support somebody else, my learning gets deeper, doesn't it? it the foundations get stronger. My understanding, I start feeling good about myself. And actually, I've organized lessons deliberately where in groups, I've taught one group a skill or some rules or some knowledge and the other group something else. So later on, when they pair up, there's one child, regardless of whether he sees that other child as a high or low ability, he knows some stuff or she knows some stuff or she's got a skill that she can teach that other child. Does that make sense? And that, that so deepens that process. And the fact they're taught each other and, and in my coaching sessions, I've said it for years. I said, how many coaches in the room? Those that know me well, they know the trick. They'll go, they'll, they'll see me and a couple of assistant coaches, all three. Oh, but is there any more coaches in the room? Yeah. And they'll go, oh, I can coach myself. Fantastic. So it's now, oh, what we like? we're up to 35. Anyone else? <laughs> uh, well, don't think so. That's everyone in the room, isn't it? Yeah, but can't your partner coach you as well? Yeah, so you got yourself, you got your coach. And then I start multiplying it. And some of them at this point, some of the, the, the better maths kids obviously know that it's, it's, it's a bit of a Darren Brown trick. It's not true. But but uh, but the point we're making is that coaching and supporting each other is a fa really fantastic nutrient for them. So if you can, as a teacher, if you're providing that nutrient, you can't do it yourself, can you? But you've got to provide an environment where children are encouraged to do that. And the spectrum, I'm going to come to number seven in a minute, but the spectrum goes from, you deliberately planning for that to happen to then being a shared discussion to then becoming a cultural thing. So a good teacher might deliberately organize a session so that the, at the right time, they're coaching and supporting each other. Right. But you know, the very best teachers eventually, because they, they're not trying to achieve their goals in one lesson, are they? They're trying to create a culture and an environment. 
So you go into that lesson and the teacher doesn't tell them when to go and work with each other. They know when to go and ask each other and go after the group or when to speak. So eventually, culturally, that becomes the norm that they think. And then they're asking for it when they need it. They're going to support when they feel as if they can. The last one. So you let me go all the way through, Lewis. I'm very impressed. The last one is, um, is a shift of control. So all of us do better when we feel we're in control. Now, if I went into, I don't, I've seen some of the, some of the groups you guys get to work with and they're, they're quite mixed, but for, for, for the school I went to in Coventry, if you went in there and said, okay, kids, you need to do what you need to think you need to do today to, to do better, then they would swing from the ropes, have a couple of Panda Pops, a <laughs> couple of Panda Pops and a couple would have a fag outside if they're in year five. And so, <laughs> it's so, so it's a shift of control. It's a, it's something you can't get, you can't do five-star control shift in your first lesson with your first group, can you? It's something that comes with trust over time where they get to choose the activity or little choice or pace or when to move on. And that control is an extraordinary learning nutrient. Children just learn better when they feel as if they've got some say in it. So if you wrote them all down there, is that seven? It is seven, right? In terms of control, would, would that be around things like a choice of activities, choice of different pathways Perfect. within a lesson? Perfect. So even like, um, so like um, if you look at, say, like a, just a standard activity, and this is the sort of thing we do on training. If you say like, say, a dribble knockout in basketball, you can do it in football as well, can't you? The kids are all dribbling. And of course, what happens is eventually someone has the ball knocked out. They stand at the side and then the kid that's just been knocked out by the good kid gets to stand and watch the good kid practicing a bit more, right? So we do, it's a nice activity, but you can see it in itself, it's a nonsense. But, but you can imagine the same, the same, if we're different zones, where there's a little practice zone for you to go and practice your dribbling. And then you can go into that one there if you want to go with the kids that are not, not going to knock each other's balls. You're just going to give each other some hard fives. And over there, you can go and have a try to see if you can protect your ball. And over there, you can only move into that if you're able to knock someone else's ball out. Children having a choice of which groups to go to eventually, nearly always, choose something that's quite challenging. So whereas actually you could have had a row with that child that just goes, no, you've put me in panic here. I don't want to go there. The same child has actually chosen to go there the moment they get to choose. Now, just because they knew they can come out whenever they want, and go and have a little practice themselves was enough for them to go in. And so often that's all we need. And we're no different as we are as adults, are we? If, if someone said, if I said, if I said to you today, right, we're all going to get your skates on. I'm going to show you how to do a, a 360 on the skates on this little ramp. There would be half the group that go, no, I won't be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but if I went, well, you don't have to, we're not going to do that straight away. Just, you know, just going to put the skates on, have a little go first. Oh, okay. But you only have to go on to the next stage when you choose to, right? Alan, what are you thinking? Yeah, uh, it just comes back to a lot of what we talked about with Ted, Ronnie. It's student choice is so important. And, and this is where Massive. the failing comes in. In Where I failed way back when I was back in the UK, we, we, we're forcing kids to do activities that they will never do when they leave school. So what is the point? Why are we not encouraging <laughs> them to do Brilliant. stuff that they want to do? And you've probably you've got some Brilliant. good tales. No, well, I have, but I just, if I'm honest, I don't want to blow, blow too much wind up the but I think I just love the fact that this, again, this is why your podcast works, it's because people are coming on and going, yeah, well, I struggled with it myself previously. I'm only just dabbling with it now. So am I. If my under-18s basketball team hear this, National League basketball team hear this, they'll go, well, yeah, I see him do a bit of that. Yeah, so he talks about it a bit, doesn't he? But, you know, now and again, you know, you know it's, it's, this, it's his way or the highway, isn't it? So, we're all learning, aren't we? We're all trying to get through it. So what we know to be true, 
turning that what we say into doing we we, we all need a bit of support with that don't we yeah, and um, I forgot your, what was the last point you made Alan? that really got me buzzing what was it, was it? you talking about, about student choice Ronnie in terms oh, of yeah. the traditional way of designing mm. a curriculum mm. and you've got each term set up and, and you yeah, know yeah. exactly what sport you're doing and everybody's forced down a certain yeah. pathway yeah. I mean when you leave school you choose what you want to do that, that so was the that was, why, yeah, that was the why are we not doing that no, that's that's the bit that really resonated with me. Well, if I'm honest, Alan, um, no, I'll probably, um, I'll, I'll quote you when I say that in the next room I'm in, but probably for the first two times after that, I forget that, I think it was my idea, but I love that. <laughs> I love that. What, what, what the ultimately, and, and again, this is the bit, I'm going to, this, this is a controversial area. So for example, at the moment, let's get primary school kids fit. Okay. They've been home in COVID, not all of them had opportunity. So let's m- make them run a mile in the morning. We're not going to be there every day to ask them to run a mile. So I'm not saying it's a terrible thing. And if it's run really well, there are some, some you know, personal bests and different. I've seen some, some of that work well. But ultimately, the point you're making, Alan, is our role is we're judged. We are mm-hmm. judged on what they do when we're not there. Yes. We judge what they do when they've left us. Away and from we, the lights. Exactly. So, so if we accept and embrace as professionals, as, as leaders of education, leaders of programs and other staff and, and children, we have to accept that we're only ever going to be judged on what these people do when they're not with us. And if, if, if we know that, and unfortunately that's not our scorecard, is it? No. It's not our scorecard. So we have to, we have to come up with other scorecards that say, well, if we did this, what, what's your feelings around this Lewis? I, I, I want to throw one out for you. Um, yeah, go on, we, go on, we, we get judged on, on what children do when we're not there. Children want to yeah. play basketball. Children mm. want to play football. Mm. Children want to play in the park with their pals. Why can't, why can't they do that at school as part of a sport-based curriculum? Why are fundamental movements so important? Oh, right, yeah. So that's, oh, that's a terrific question. I, I always forget, you know, um, uh, again, what, what's good from you, you guys, you'll be really honest about what other people feel and, and their response to this. It's a really, really good question. So, um, first of all, I personally believe that um, I could teach the whole curriculum through basketball. I genuinely do. So there you go. I've said it live. You can cut me. Um, no problem at all with it. So I, I, there's, the sport itself is, is, is not just really, I'm passionate about it. I know enough about it. I think I could do it. But I know <laughs> that I'd still have to find a way to teach all of the fundamental movement skills required for them to be successful at that. So it makes no difference whether I teach it in isolation, whether I teach it as part of a multi-skill game, or whether I choose a sport specific if they're ready for that, or they're just ready for that inspiration. It makes no difference to me. So what we do is in the programs, we show lots of different ways of doing that. And if we're working on real coaching, so we work with a a charity called Chance to Shine um, in the UK, and we work with about 400 of their coaches. We, we, We do it through cricket, but the principles are exactly the same. Their outcomes are about making life changes for children, giving children that wouldn't normally have that opportunity, uh, that, that disadvantage, that opportunity to go and really learn and through cricket and, and develop through cricket. They, they, that charity doesn't count the number of kids that make it to the county team. So it's easy for them, but they're doing it through, well, it's not easy for them at all, but, but in terms of the, what you're asking. So Lewis, the simple answer is that um, just basic learning principles. You can't teach pros until you can do paragraphs you can't do paragraphs you can't do sentences you can't do sentences until you've got words and you can't do words until you've got like blended you know 
blended letters and 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 sounds and stuff. So you have you have to do it. It's just when you do it at the right time and so what level. There, Lewis, is there, is there a know. sort of suggestion there then? And, and maybe I'm reading between the mm. lines here. I don't want to put yeah. words in your mouth. That maybe P um, has been, maybe still is, maybe um, mm. needs improving in terms of the fact that it's watered down sport and it's an opportunity mm. for for children to play modified versions of sport, but without mm. really understanding the fundamental foundations that they need to be able to access those skills. Absolutely. And, and, and I think, unfortunately, again, if we know that the sport is our, is a servant, we'll then condition it in a way where whether, whether it's named a specific sport and, and even if you say something like football, do you mean futsal or do you mean five aside or do you mean the full game or do you mean it? I think, um, the activity has to be seen very much as a servant to achieve the other goals. We can't, if as a subject, and we know the sort of difference we can make, we know that we can change flight paths for children. We can change the whole view of the world. We can make them believe they can do anything. We can turn them into leaders, resilience, all the rest of it. So why do we pretend in the actual subject we're teaching? When I said I can deliver the curriculum through basketball, no one will give a toss whether they can make a left-handed layup in most period in their life. They won't. So why would we teach them a left-handed lip? We teach them a left-handed lip because, or we call it a weak hand, what it might be if they're if left-handed, because we're asking a child to try and learn a new skill, which is actually not the most comfortable way. They've actually got to try and challenge themselves to do something different. And then they're going to go and work with a partner to try and support themselves through that. And then they're going to see if they can apply and, and suggest to do that in, a, in the right time. And as a 14-year-old, as a, as a I played in a national school's um, basketball semi-final in Stoke Park and Coventry. I made that left-handed layup around over a big centre. I was about 5'4". made a left-handed layup over a big centre. And my school was big on basketball, big crowd then that day. They buzzing and screaming. Well, of course, I'm getting a buzz out of making that left-handed layup in a basketball game. But long-term, it was actually the fact that I'd learned that I could do anything I wanted to do. I could make my left hand as good as my right hand when everyone else had told me you can't. I could, I could apply in a game. I mean, Lewis, is that the sort of question you're asking? Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm just thinking in terms of that, you, what you're describing is essentially whatever the sport is or the activity is, is a vehicle mm. in which to help deliver these fundamental skills. So really is yeah. the message, you know, don't get too hung up on what the content is and what the vehicle is that you're using, but really do focus on those fundamental movements in different contexts. You work on the fundamental movement, work on their personal social development. And as a consequence, you know this already because you know every every person listening to this podcast now will think of an individual child or an individual group that learns the quickest. So regardless of their skills or ability, they learn the quickest and they will develop all those skills and get better at that sport quicker. So there's no compromise. There's no either or. There's no, oh, do we go sport and try and get good at sport or do we actually work on the quality behaviours or language or, or fundamental skills? There is no compromise. Either one, we achieve both, and and the very best coaches out there sussed this a long time ago, haven't they? And and the great thing for our children is they can't go to a, a elite rugby game or football game without watching people doing multi skills as a warm up. They can't. They'll see fundamental movement as their their core warm up. So the, nowadays it's broadly accepted. But yeah, so what I'm saying is, Lewis, is that just just if you're working with children, we can't assume that the sport that we're using is that vehicle, that term, or that day is the one that's going to change their life. But we can still, regardless, as we switch sports, as we switch activities, I mean, the weather or our facilities, or just to keep things fresh, we use different activities is great. But just, we should feel, shouldn't we, that when we go from one turn to the next turn, that child should be feeling, I'm still getting better at PE. So we've got to find a way, haven't we, to say, 
when I've finished my lesson six in athletics and go to lesson one in tennis, I've got to know that that's lesson seven, isn't it? Or more likely 623rd. But I'm a little bit better at PE now in that lesson. That's so a really interesting yeah. That's a really interesting point because it's because how often as a teacher, and I've done this mm. um, oh, so many times, you reach the end of a unit and you start the next unit mm. and you do use that justification of, well, I can't mm. possibly look at whether there are 6C or a 7A there because it's a completely different sport. And, you know, even listening to you now, it just, it puts that, obviously that very different spin on the fact that P is a journey and fundamental movement is a journey, developing is a journey and, and how you map that out sounds like from what you're saying, it sounds really important to get that nailed and to get that structure in there, right? From, uh, from an early age. That's, that's bang on for me. Go on, Alan, sorry. Can I, yeah, can I just bang come on. in there? It's interesting with, with online learning as it's been at the mm. moment, the, the old adage of changing a unit every six weeks mm. You don't need to do it because you're not <laughs> of course, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and, and one of that's one of the things I've taken from, particularly from this year, I've been teaching online from from August onwards. Is why am I, I don't need to change the unit if they haven't got. And it was we were doing your balancing uh, static yeah, yeah, sure, balances and sure. dynamics, yeah. and we did a performance task at the end. The yeah. performance task normally that would be finished. Move on to your next topic. Now, doesn't have to be. Take uh-huh. your performance task, reflect upon it, make it better, and then uh-huh. your next unit will flow much nicer. And 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 that's been that's happened in online, and and it's not something that I've done before. And and it was it was really super powerful. I've I've I hadn't even considered Alex. So I've got to be honest, from an empathetic perspective, I've obviously I've done a lot of online stuff with adults now, uh, as I had to, as everyone has had to. I've not taught children online yet. Um, I've done, I did my first basketball session where we did a bit of video analysis, but that it totally makes sense. And as you say, almost sometimes it takes something of like that to, to realize, doesn't it? It's, yeah. I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong in having, say, a clear focus. So for, for me, you went, when, when you start talking about the focus of that, you said we were working on some static and dynamic balance. Now, yeah. my guess would be that, that not all the children were doing exactly the same challenge. You were showing them two oh, or three oh. ones, and they're yeah. right, right. So, personalized, you were doing a personalized program. And the focus was, was around improving their balance. And you know, if it was a one-legged thing, that's going to improve their striking in football. It's going to jump higher because they're in position. It's going to change direction. But so you know all those things. And I think it doesn't have to be that though. Could it? it could be around decision making in in invasion games. It could be around uh, taking social responsibility. So yeah. if, imagine if I've just done six weeks, and it was the vehicle we were using was athletics, and we'd said, look, we really want to focus on how well you can learn from each other. And so it's going to be a lot of paired stuff. So I want really, I want you, we'll do a little bit of a, get you doing a few personal bests and a couple of activities. And then we're going to really talk about how we can get better at those. And then I'm going to see, I'm going to judge you this term on how well you can improve your partner. Let's see if you can do that. If at the end of that six weeks, you then move on to tennis, you're surely not going to, these kids now who are struggling to give each other feedback, who are now really having a buzz, working and listening to each other and showing each other. You're not going to do your first lesson in tennis and then go right back to start now working by yourself, are you? Yeah. So you're going to move it on, aren't you? It fits in so well with real life transfer. Right. And we talk about that with concept-based learning. And I think from, from the work that, that Lewis and I are doing with, with people around the world, that it's tend to be moving towards this, this this transfer of skills for when they leave school. And that's something that's not really been focused on before. Well, just, just, I, I'm not going to lose that, Alan. I, I've got to go deeper on that, mate. You can't start that without finishing. <laughs> so once you, once you start, well, now you really have kicked me off. So I, 
what you've just done there, Alan, you've, for me, you've just described why P is the most important subject on the curriculum. Yeah, so you say, right. well, we've not, really, we've not really been doing that. Well, well, we've not been really, really doing that in this UK. Most, most UK schools have got less key stage 4P on than they've ever had. Yeah. Right? Because the, the head teachers over time have gone, well, I know you, you know all that stuff. We used to leave you over there in your little sports in your office. We're now going to be more demanding our questions about you and what learning's taking place. What is it your subject achieves? What, what do you contribute to? Because I came over and they actually looked a bit of badminton um, and it looked a bit of a bit of gym. I didn't really know what was going on. When you start talking about P in those terms, Alan, people are going to sit up and all we need to do, and you guys do it. And that's why the, the reason why people say the things they do about you two is because you are now walking the walk. They, you, you didn't get the, you didn't get the credit that you two get now just because you were saying it in a bar. You're saying it because the, the people say those things about you and want to employ you, want to see you as leaders of their teachers because you are doing it because you're saying this is what P is about and then you're delivering on it. Both of you think you've still got a big journey to go on, but the truth is you're living it daily. You're saying, I want these children to have skills that they're going to need for every other subject, for life, for their socioeconomics in the future. It is going to impact on the feelings about themselves, their families, their self-esteem, generational impact. Now, on any level, you're the most important person, person on the curriculum. Because if that child comes out of PE and goes into another subject and stays focused and believes in themselves and takes great responsibility and, you know, can work independently, my goodness, you change the flight path. Lewis, what, I mean, uh, that you agree, right? I completely agree. That doesn't happen by default, does it? I, I think no. sometimes there's an understanding or a presumption or even a perception by, by people that don't teach PE that that sort of happens by osmosis. It happens by, yeah. well, just let the kids play and they'll work that yeah. out. In actual fact, it doesn't. And I think that's what makes our, our subject so important and the most important subject in any school because we have the opportunity to put children in situations that no other subject does and explicitly point out where the transferable skills are, right? When did you get so articulate, Lewis? You've been... <laughs> Uh, do you know what? Do you know what? I, I don't even like. I don't. I don't even like this as much as I used to. Like I used to be. I used to be the guy in the room that used to come out with a little succinct things. Now I speak two paragraphs, and you summarise it in one sentence, and I don't like that. And because uh, because people are going to pay me less if that happens. All right. So um, j joking apart, I, honestly, I think it's that. So the perception of other people of us is one of two things: either it just happens by luck, or it just never happens because some kids are just not suited to it. And, and that's, the, that's the other one, yeah. isn't it? Is that, yeah. well, some kids just aren't good at PE. No, yeah, no. So if you ask, if you ask a whole generation, I, I do it regularly. Yeah. So group of, group of non-specialist primary school teachers, tell me about your experience of PE and sport. They'll come out with a bit of vitriol, but mostly they'll come to the conclusion it was their fault. Well, the truth is I'm just not genetically really sort of blessed. And uh, I didn't really try very hard in PE. So I go, oh my God, they're getting away with it. I, I, you're genuinely telling me that these people are getting this dreadful experience. It wasn't, it was your fault, not theirs. Right. Okay. Uh, you know, honestly, we've got away with it for so long that, well, I say we, but, but <laughs> too many people have got away with just not embracing the fact that we have this responsibility. And then the bit that, the bit that you said that would just, uh, my, my business partner, John Parson would love is you said it can't happen by accident. There's got to be a deliberate plan for this to happen. You know, your whole, you, what you're saying to the children, what you're showing. Alan, earlier on, you talked about there's got to be a clear sort of curriculum that you're taking through, a journey you're taking them through. You've got to be there. It can't happen by accident. You know, you've got to plan for it. You've got to think about it. It's got to be talked about. It's got to be reviewed. 
And I think that's uh, that's the jump that we're ready for. And ultimately, your first question for, for me was, who's creative and what do they do? It is, we try and help people to, to, to do the stuff you're saying. So we say, everyone's saying this is what we think we now, we've now got enough evidence to show that children should have this experience and they should develop this skills, knowledge, um, the sk skills, knowledge and behaviours. And we say, well, look, here's how you might plan to do that. Um, you're bound to bend it and twist it because you'll find better ways of doing it with your own children. But here's a bit of structure. It's a bit of stuff that we've pulled together over a long period of time of all the best people we've ever worked with. And we think this can help you a bit. And how, how Ronnie, can we better support parents in this? Well, that's, I'm, I'm really pleased with that, if I'm honest. The, um, again, we're thinking about the number of high-quality minutes we can give these children, aren't we? Because often when you see someone with a really good skill, a child will see a child in year, you know, year four and see them doing an incredible skill. And we go, oh, my God, how can a child that age do that level of skill? It'll come down to minutes. And so the quality of, of, of that message that you're giving we can only be with them for a couple of hours, can't we? So even, even in a really good program, yeah. So from from if we can educate parents and support them in this process and give them the tools and then the education. So of course, one of the advantages, and you mentioned already, Alan, um, in the new world is is that uh, for us, digital platform has been massive because we can not only share everything with parents, but actually we can pull all the stuff out that don't need to see. So that. We, in the way that we can show you guys layers who are you know who are specialists who uh who are you know seasoned teachers the stuff that we can talk to you guys about just wouldn't help most parents it would only bring noise and confusion yeah but if we can strip out some of the, the key stuff every parent i've ever spoken to when it gets a one-to-one -one is desperate to do something better for their children and i don't think you know uh, anyone anyone in this room or, or outside this room would think differently all of us are open-minded to thinking if I can do something that could really, you know, be, a, if I can be a better parent, if I can really help those children out a bit more, I need that help. And so we do one of two things. One is to share ideas and progression. So they've got something solid that really works. Cause without that, a really keen parent goes down the shop, buys two badminton rackets for their, for their, their seven year old, gets a short cock out and go, oh, he's no good at that. Is he? That's not worked. Um, you know, it's not his fault, but perhaps he's rubbish at badminton. That's not, let's go and try another sport. You know, and just, these people, you know, we, we can giggle at them, can't we? Because we've seen it in the park, but but they're desperate to go and do some of their kids, aren't they? So they just want a bit of guidance. So one of it is online stuff. The second is to say, look, there's, uh, and again, on occasion, I know that people say, well, this is more parental, this is more parental workshops rather than the P workshops. I say, well, just, just if we understand what we might praise our children for, how, what is it we're going to praise them for while they're doing this? Are we going to praise them for having a go? Are we going to praise them for... For having a go at something difficult and failing at it and, and having another go. And we over time, we can support parents with the things that they might praise and that will change the whole atmosphere at home for P for them. Because we know that takes quite a skill, doesn't it, to keep a child motivated when they're struggling a bit. Yeah. And so, again, just teaching them some simple, simple, simple stuff around phrases, around how we pray and phrase. And, and then probably, again, um, we won't need to go back through it, but... Uh, some simplified key uh, key messages from the learning nutrition stuff. And so we've got us, something to praise, yeah. Brings us around full circle a little bit, that, Ronnie. Um, we're we're going to start to um, wind it down a little bit now. We've got a few quick-fire questions we want to shoot oh, your way. So you're well, on the uh, on the hot spot. Um, Alan, do you want to fire away first? Yeah, you, I mean, you probably gather, Ronnie, we, we're avid readers. We love getting better. Mm. 
Um, what, what book are you reading at the moment? I'm actually reading a really um, sort of bit of a... I'm reading a marketing book at the moment, actually. Um, I've become, become a bit geeky about how to get messages across. So um, it's a book. Uh, it's Donald Miller, and it's called Building a Story Brand. And I think it really helped teachers. So it's about how to connect with, with your audience. And so it's all about marketing. It's nothing yeah. to do with teaching. But of course, my teacher's head, I'm just, I'm hearing, I'm hearing teaching. Yeah, but it, Ronnie, I'm, I'm, Ronnie, you're yeah. the, one of the best storytellers I know. And that's what captures people. <laughs> We're learning that. When you're trying to sell something, it's all about the story, isn't it? You know it that. It is, mate. It is, mate. Honest. And um, yeah, and that brings it to us. That's the book I'm reading. Um, I, I still read all the, uh, the escapist junk I, I love like Jack Reacher stuff and courtroom stuff and Grisham stuff so I, I read all the trash too just wanted to make sure that people didn't think I'd slipped away f- into too highbrow stuff but you know. <laughs> uh, um, Ronnie you have a reputation for mm. and you don't know where I'm going with this but don't mm. worry it's, it's, it's nothing too extreme you have a reputation for having an incredible memory of people's names and an, <laughs> abil- and a, and an ability to recall people's <laughs> names <laughs> Now, to, to tell us how you do that. Okay, so um, the, the first bit is uh, the, I, I do I do have some techniques. I will tell you that. But but first of all, I, I, no one wants to hear this bit. And then that is it's just down to a bit of time and effort. So I used to be rubbish at it, and, and you just do what you do with the kids. You go well. I'll tell you what. When you go into school to deliver, just make sure you know the name of the receptionist, the head teacher, the subject leader. Just get those three right. And often I read before I get there. And then, of course, when you're doing three, you think, well, I definitely need to know the receptionist because she's going to get me in and out a bit later. And plus maybe the, the caretaker will get me around that. And then I'll think, well, I'll, I'll learn the first two names of the people that come into the room and get a relationship with them so I can use that later. And then I go, honestly, I genuinely it was like that. It was like um, a, a progression. I now can do I can now do about 45 or 50 in, in, in three or four minutes. Wow. But the but um, well, there's people out there that do about a thousand. So, yeah. you know, just so. Uh, the, if you want to know the specific techniques, but most of it's down to just effort and uh, and learning journeys. So I'm uh, sorry, I, I try my best to so, so people. I've learned to do that when I was rubbish at it. So I try my best, but they always want to go, yeah, but how'd you do it? So uh, <laughs> the, the, the the main technique, other than practice, is um, it's just association. So if a guy calls himself Ian, I would I can visualise him in a kilt, and it'll be a Scottish Ian. I'll make that connection. So sometimes. Um, um, yeah, and uh, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a pit bull terrier that's soft as muck uh, called Alan. So I, when I saw Alan Dunstan, I went, "Yeah, that's pit bull terrier, but really soft and mushy inside." Uh, that's how I remember Alan. So I just see my dog when I say. For some of the other ones, for you, Lewis, you'd prosecute me if I told you how I remember your name. <laughs> so I can't so I can't tell you specifics, but basically it is. And again, we're back to that learning bit, aren't we? It's just like, it's yeah. just a bit of effort, a bit of time. You can get good at anything with a bit of effort and time. And then, yeah, people teach you a few little techniques. And that's what we do, don't we, as teachers a bit, don't we? Yeah, good one, Ronnie. I, I, you remember back when we, we played a trick on Ian Collie, our mate from Biggie. I love we, that. That was I just a bit. We got into, it. I'll tell the listeners, we, we've got into it, Diana, and we've, oh, already told Ian, we've already told Ian that Ronnie's a legend at, at, learn, at learning names. So he's not met Ian before. <laughs> we've tipped Ronnie that his name's Ian. And then we sit down at breakfast and Ronnie goes, hi, Ian. And Ian goes, 
How does he know that? How did he know? And we'd, we'd already yeah. queued, we'd already queued Ian up, hadn't we? That I bet he remembers your name. I bet, yeah. I bet he remembers. He remembers everyone. I've name. never, I've never even met him yet. He, he, and he, so I said hello to you, and then turned to it. Oh, you're right, Ian. Yeah. He, he, he ran up to, he ran up to me. He remembered. He remembered. Oh man, lovely, great time. I promise you. I promise. I promise you. I regularly. I, I promise you. I regularly. Like, you know, like if um, if I'm going back to a place. So if I'm meeting you guys. I would um, get into a room. I don't remember everyone's names. I don't. So, but I would be going around thinking, oh, I should know his name or her name. So I'd just go to the people I remember and say, just remind me their name again. What was their name? So they're, they're often disappointed as well when I ask them. But, but then obviously the, the people I then do remember, because I remember their name, they let me off. Then the other people are going, oh, you remember me again? But isn't it weird how, just again, we talk about relationships. I heard you on yeah. your other podcast, Alan. You, yeah, you talked quite, yeah, you talked long and hard about relationships. And mate, honestly, it, for for learners it's so important isn't it so if you haven't bothered to learn their name it's the first step of any relationship isn't it so even if you can't remember their name ask them again but just because just because they, they still like the fact you all of us would prefer to be asked what our name is rather than someone just will feel a bit embarrassed asking and, and, and nobody likes that yeah. sort of awkwardness yeah. where somebody's told you your name you weren't really listening and then you've spent two or three hours yeah. in their company and then it's gone past yeah. that stage where you're like oh it's really awkward now i couldn't possibly ask them what their name is i need to find <laughs> out some some other way <laughs> Anyway, Ronnie, we're digressing. We've got another quick fire Ooh, question on, for you. That wasn't wasn't very quick fire. That one. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, yes, well, it's me and it's me. Yeah. Tell, t- tell us about the best piece of advice that you've ever been given as a, as a business leader, as an educator, oh, as, as a leader, a, whatever. Oh yeah, definitely. So, um, best advice as a leader: I surround myself with people different to me. So yeah, find yeah. other people with different skills and personalities. And the problem with that, of course, is that if you're leading people with similar personalities, it's actually easier. You can move quicker, uh, but you never get as far. And where you and, the, and your end destination is just never as rich and as beautiful. So it, you, it's so tough. And, and, and you guys as heads of the department, I think, you, you know, you, when you're interviewing with people, you connect, don't you, with people that are similar to you? But yeah. the smart heads department, I know, I know how rich your departments are. You eventually start thinking, no, this department needs a different set of skills and voices and thoughts and and um, so that's my biggest advice is just surround yourself. It doesn't make it easier, but it does make it better. Yeah, it's a great challenge. It's a transfer difference. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Said's book, doesn't it, about the rebel ideas? Great book. Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. A bit, yeah. I, I hadn't connected directly to that, but yeah, I get, yeah, I get it. All right, Roddy, last one. Go on this then. Is, uh, what does, our, our title is uh, Infinite Leaders Live. What, do, what does infinite learning mean to you then, Ronnie? It's just completely no ceiling. It's, yeah. it's, I think I'm going to give it, I know it's a quick, I'm going to come quick on this. Is I used to, um, so normal question people ask you as leaders down, they go, what, what's the one thing you tell yourself or the past? I would say that everyone has self doubt. Okay. And self doubt is, is a healthy, healthy emotion. Yeah. yeah. Um, so tell me a question again, Alan, because I lost it. <laughs> What's infinite learning mean for you, Rob? Yeah. He, he can remember yeah. so, 50 yeah. names in three minutes. Go. <laughs> but fire a question at him and he's had it. I, I, I plan myself not to go down that rabbit hole. If I go any further, I'm down. I'm going to tell you another five-minute story. So I couldn't get out of it. Um, so, yeah, so um, so you say self-doubt. So that's that's the thing. So what happens then is if you if you understand that everyone has self-doubt, is that you, you then believe and actually understand it can be a really positive thing. Just admit your doubt. Admit the fact that you're not sure. And let's be honest, without self-doubt, imagine some of the stuff we did when we were students. Imagine if we had that same same mentality now. You, yeah. you need a bit of self-doubt, don't you? You, you, you do daft stuff. So so my, my my sense of infinite learning is that 
if I don't feel a little bit embarrassed about what I said or did six months ago. So obviously online now, somebody heard that I bullied a guy called Ian, you know? So, <laughs> uh, so we all, we all know that was a bit of fun, but if we're not a little bit embarrassed of what we did or said six months ago, we're probably not learning quick enough. We should always, we don't, should always be a little embarrassed. So infinite learning for me is that you have to accept the fact that if you continue to learn, that, that you're always, you're never going to be happy where you are now. And actually, if you, if you get really strong about, you think you've sussed it today, you know that you can be really embarrassed in about six months' time. Yeah, you really are. Ronnie, really love that. Great finish. Yeah, that's a really cool idea, the, the sort of six-month reflection of, of moving on and being brave enough to do it. Ronnie, thank you so much for your time today. Really, really enjoyed it. Oh, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. You guys are legends. Thank you. <laughs> and um, just desperate that we can finally uh, hopefully get into a proper room together and catch up yeah that, i just that, love this love this animal nice. conversation and i love your post- podcast for that reason thank you brilliant cheers ronnie guys search infinite leaders live on youtube and igtv and we're pleased to announce we're on all popular podcast platforms share far and wide and visit us at the infinite um or on twitter get in touch and we'll see you next time cheers guys goodbye uh, amazing cheers Lewis. cheers alan thanks ronnie